Hello and welcome to Malicious Life in collaboration with Cyberism. A few weeks ago, in August of 2019, the annual Black Hat Convention was held in Las Vegas. One of the keynote speakers was Miko Hipponen, chief researcher at F-Secure and a person who is considered by many, me included, one of the leading thinkers of our time with regards to cybersecurity. The title of Miko's talk in Black Hat was Responding to a Cyber Attack with missiles. I had the privilege to interview Miko after his talk in Cyber Reason's booth at Black Hat to discuss this very sensitive topic. Should governments respond with kinetic force against cyber attacks? And if so, what are the moral and practical implications of such a response? Now, Miko's background is in the civilian world of cybersecurity. And although, as I said, I very much hold his views with great respect, I wanted to discuss this matter with someone who comes from a different background, a military and governmental background in our case. Why? Because sometimes different backgrounds give us different perspectives. And so I have with me here in the studio, Professor Itzik Ben Israel, one of Israel's foremost thinkers and influencers in cybersecurity, and someone with exactly the background which I was looking for. Professor Ben Israel is former general in the IDF, former head of the IDF and Ministry of Defense R&D Directorate, former member of the Israeli Knesset, former chairman of the National Council for Research and Development, and currently chairman of the Israeli Space Agency and director of the Interdisciplinary Cyber Research Center in Tel Aviv University, and he led the National Task Force, which founded Israel's National Cyber Directorate. Very, thank you very much for joining me in the studio. So what we'll do is I'll play a short audio clip from my interview with Miko Hipponen, and then I'll ask you, Professor Ben Israel, to comment on what we've just heard. I need to apologize in advance to our listeners for the audio quality of the interview, which was held in a very, very noisy hall in Black Hat. I'll repeat some of what Miko said after each clip. So the first question I asked Miko was whether a kinetic response, killing people with bombs, to a cyber attack is a legitimate response, in his view. Let's hear his response. Well, if you can figure out the attribution problem beyond any confusion possibilities, then of course there is no reason why you wouldn't retaliate in the real world against a virtual attack. Today's virtual attacks will target very real systems. Our society is run on computers. Electricity is being distributed by computers. The food we eat is being made by computers. There is no longer a difference between virtual and real world. So, if you can figure out the attribution part, then there really isn't a problem. And of course, if you look at, for example, what's been happening between uh, um, uh, Hamas from Israel, and there has been real world retaliation against cyber troops, They've been confident about the attribution. They, it's not just a question that they would be retaliating against only cyber attacks. There's all kinds of attacks coming from them, including propaganda operations, including cyber operations, and including real-world attacks. So they are not just retaliating against the cyber attack. And that, I guess, is my answer. You shouldn't respond with missiles against the cyber attack only. But... If you are in the middle of a conflict, cyber targets are valid targets, just like any other targets are. Okay, so what Miko is basically saying is that a kinetic response to a cyber attack could be a legitimate response if we can attribute the cyber attack 
beyond reasonable doubt. So my first question to you, Professor, is was Israel ever cyber attacked? Of course, Israel is under attack every moment. We have a few millions attempts to attack every day. few millions of attempts. Most of them, of course, are not done manually, but by machines, by bots and things like this. But um, almost all of them, practically all of them, uh, are failing, but still we are under attack. Now, the question for me, it's very simple. I mean, if you don't know who did it, how can you retaliate? I mean, it's very simple. But it is a mistake to think that the problem of attribution, which is a real problem, and it is built into the very hardware and software that runs this network uh, of cyberspace, it is a mistake to think that because this is the technology, we don't know who did it. You're we, saying that we can attribute we can certain attribute attacks not, based on what? Intelligence not, not reports? Not based on the uh, tracking back the, the attack because this is impossible. This is what we call the problem of attribution. But based on intelligence, based uh, many times uh, certain countries who make uh, an attack like this declare openly that they do it. Not every time, but many times. And in many other times, I'll give you one example, okay? The uh, North Korean attacked Sony a few years ago, and the American president uh, openly in the TV said that um, North Korea, uh, Korea will pay for this attack. Now, you can ask yourself, how did he know? Those attacks by their nature uh, are done in such a way that it's very, almost impossible, very difficult to track that back to the origin, but he knew it with intelligence that he got from the intelligence services of in the our, US. In the, in the attacks against Israel, at least in the major ones, yeah. how definite uh, was the attribution of the attacker from uh, what many, really happened? Many times we know who did it. Not, not by tracking Tracing back the, the attack technically, but by other means. Other means. And we... So, to the best of your knowledge, back then, did the government consider a kinetic response to but, one or well, several it, of it, these attacks? The reason why we have not yet responded with physical attack is only because there was no damage. That's all. Uh, I guess that if... Someday, well, something will happen, and, and uh, someone will succeed in making uh, substantial damage. You have to think in national level, not that then, not, not what could know, be such a national level, considerable maybe, let's damage. Say if shutting off uh, the electricity for long enough time, uh, wide enough area, etc. Okay. Uh, and then we will we will use everything we have. I mean, this is not a problem at all. There is no question here. There's no I mean, question in that sense. No. If someone is attacking you, the reason why you retaliate is not to punish him because he did some damage to you. This is a very primitive uh, thinking. It, it it is to rebuild if we did if you didn't have it before the um, deterrence deterrence that 
either you didn't have or, or, or was uh, fading out yeah. something, somewhere. So you have to rebuild deterrence. And in order to rebuild deterrence, you have to, to demonstrate to your enemy that you have certain capabilities that he wouldn't like to suffer from. Okay? And, and that's why you retaliate. Now, most of the theoretical thinking about deterrence in the last 70 years was done in relation to nuclear war. Now, in nuclear war, there's no question if someone is, is nuclearizing you, I mean, someone is, is, is dropping a nuclear warhead on your head, there's no reason why the, the, it's, it's, it, ma it makes no sense in retaliating with uh, shooting him with guns or putting, uh, put, uh, I don't know, declare some economical sanctions. You it. need some response Only, which will be yeah, the in relation to if, the if someone used a nuclear bomb against you, you need to retaliate with the similar weapon. And people mistakenly copy this idea also to cyberspace. They say, if someone will attack me in cyberspace, uh, what we should do is retaliating in the same area, same uh, paying with the same coin, in a way, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, retaliating also in cyberspace, which is stupid, in a way, okay? But there is an opposing opinion which says that cyber operations are closer to traditional espionage and intelligence operations. And we know from history that sometimes espionage operations that were detected were not met with a kinetic response, you know, bombing. This is it's a, more the, subtle in that area. No, no. no? Again, again, a wrong analogy. The in, in espionage is done by everyone and no one wants to to give it up. It's not like, like an attack with cyber. I mean, I, I, I may speak for the government of Israel, but everyone, there are many countries like this that are ready, and I think my opinion is, is, is that it is even necessary to have some international norm saying no cyber attacks at all. Something like this, okay? It's, it's bad to use cyber weapons. Ban cyber weapons. Ban cyber weapons. No one will ever say it about espionage because you lose some of your own capability. No one wants to give it up. And therefore, you know that you, you wouldn't retaliate anyone. I mean, espionage is part of our life. You can Everybody is taken as a given, you're saying, that there is espionage. You can read about it uh, in the Bible. <laughs> already mentioned there. <laughs> Going uh, back, yeah. an old and reference. So we speak about <laughs> thousands of years now. And, and it will go forever because this is part uh, of every national security doctrine. And that is, I have to know what the bad guys are planning to do. So if I am not ready to give up espionage, how can I do something demanding from the other side? So that it's, a, it's a different game with different rules. Uh, uh, some retaliation is done, but in this closed world of espionage, etc. So it's uh, analogies. Usually people use analogies. Many times uh, uh, you have to be very careful be before you use it. 
Uh, and of course, um, uh, the nuclear analogy is also a bad, bad analogy because we don't need to retaliate in the same coin. We need to do something that the other side will say to himself, oh, if this is the, the reaction, we better stop what we are doing now. Okay, something like that. If, if you can get the result by cyber attack, okay. If you can get it by, by using a physical attack, you'll use physical attack. Okay, so you're saying we are caught, or people who are thinking in terms of cyber versus cyber are caught in a bad analogy from the past. Yeah. I'll return you back to the question of attribution, because let's say in hypothetical sense we had such a uh, damaging attack versus infrastructures in Israel, for example, but the attribution is n not a hundred percent certain, not even beyond reasonable doubt. Let's say just for the hypothetical setting, you have your doubts. Okay. Would you would you recommend a physical attack, actually killing people in okay. some foreign country when their attribution is not beyond reasonable doubt? That's th that happens every day in Israel, by the way. In conventional warfare, okay, you the, there is some terror activity. Okay, some terrorist is is exploding himself and killing some Israelis, and we have every few days we have something like that. In ninety five percent of the cases, the terrorist organization which planned it, organized it, sent the the suicide bomber to kill himself with the with the victims. Uh, there is someone who takes responsibility and say it was me. This this is in a way even the goal of the whole uh, operation to show that the, they have the capability. They are there. Yeah. They have the capability. They are there. You should uh, consider certain demands from them, etc., etc. Many times. It's it's a minority, but still enough. No one is is claiming uh, uh, responsibility, responsibility for, for this attack. And then you have to use your intelligence sources to know who did it. Sometimes you you don't know, and then you cannot really retaliate because you don't know really whom to against whom to retaliate. Sometimes you know. In, in those cases in which you know, many times it's based on, you know, intelligence and sources. Some of them are not uh, university professors, you know, I mean, you, you don't know exactly how uh, to treat or to evaluate the, the validity of their claims, etc., etc. And you have a lot of uh, uncertainties, many times. And now you are a leader of a country and you want to uh, retaliate. You don't even, even, even. So you're saying this this uncertainty is built in into yeah, this military a, decision a anyway. Of, of daily life, yeah. Daily life uh, for certain countries. Because uh, you, you need a certain level of assurance before you take action. Even if the action is only... Uh, uh, saying something, you know, not, uh, by words and not uh, if you go to real operations, I mean, uh, physical attacks and things like this, then you need even higher level of assurance. But you need certain level of assurance before you do something. And this this is done by every government every day. I think the, the most interesting takeaway for me from your question is that governments do have other tools 
for defining attributions that sometimes cybersecurity companies and businesses don't have because they don't have the resources. No, and this is very interesting. And only the government has this capability. Okay, so moving on to the next question I had from Miko. Is a kinetic attack even an effective response if we wish to disrupt the enemy's cyber attacks against us? Let's hear what he had to say. You can absolutely disrupt cyber operations with physical attacks by simply killing the operators. We know from our work in civilian life that we have massive skills gap. The most crucial resource we have are the brains of our coders and analysts. Same thing applies to offensive work. So if you attack physically a cyber operation, you're not really trying to kill the computers, you're trying to kill the people. Which means, I mean, if you look at the history, the United States did such a thing a few years back with a drone attack versus one ISIS operator who was in charge of their uh, cyber capabilities, whichever they were. Does this mean that many of the people here standing around us who are civilians, but some of them actually engage in contractor, uh, they are contractors for government sometimes, should they be worried that in the future there will be valid targets for future uh, operations? I was actually looking at the Geneva Convention recently, especially the part which defines what are valid military targets for military action during wartime. And when I was reading the definition from the Geneva Convention, I realized that, that our company would most likely be a valid target during an active conflict, during a war. I mean, we would be a valid target for bombing, for example, which really isn't a very comforting thought to think about. So definitely when I started working in cybersecurity 30 years ago, I didn't sign up for this shit. Yeah, uh, his last comment was, I didn't sign up for this shit. And I think that many people are now th starting to think about it. So... In general, the Geneva Convention prohibits attacks against innocent civilians. But do you see civilian developers working for government agencies developing cyber weapons as legitimate uh, targets in a, cyber, in, a, in a conflict surrounding such an, a war? I agree with uh, Mr. Hopin. Uh, what, what, what he said, because, because it's, it's very simple. The Geneva Agreement is don't hit kill or do anything against people who are not involved in, uh, in direct actions against you. Innocent citizens is only a phrase, okay? But that's all. I mean, the spirit is if they are not part of the warfare against you, leave them alone. You are not allowed to, to do something against them. And the same here. I mean, if, if uh, uh, Mr. Hipponen is working in cybersecurity, securing God knows what, he is not a target because he is, he is doing only security. If he is part of the offensive ah. capability, I'm speaking now from the eyes of, of, of so an enemy. Defensive capabilities. Uh, okay, of course, I'm speaking from the eyes of an enemy. Of the of the the Finnish army in that in that of case. any any yeah. enemy of the USA in this case okay or or Finland or so you're saying there is a difference between defensive work and offensive work I mean is if he is taking part his company in developing offensive capabilities that are used against some other state then this state may look at him as a legitimate part of the force that is 
operating against the state, no matter at all if he is a contractor or wearing uniforms or God knows what. It's not... Uh, I'm very interested in the d- distinction you make between offensive and de- defensive work. No. Because in my experience in the military, when you're attacking some structure and there's, let's say, an anti-aircraft guns protecting, defending that target, you, it's a valid military target. You you're attack. saying defensive cyber work isn't... Does not make you a ta- valid target? No. I mean, you don't attack. You see, any definition, uh, uh, any definition, if you try to, to define this table, is very difficult. And we know many things that we don't know how to define. For example, every one of us, you and me, and any listener, uh, know the difference between attack and And, and, uh, and defense. It's very difficult to define it. And many times there are cases with gray lines. Uh, gray lines and you don't know this is it, it happens with every definition. Still, m- in most of the cases, we know that what uh, uh, North Korea did in the case of Sony to USA is an offensive action. Not defensive, they may say, okay, we defended our values uh, because something like this. You're basically saying, if I understand correctly, oh, okay. that you know, you yeah. can't define what is defense may, offense. They, you know it when you see they it. They could hire a very good lawyer that will uh, uh, defend themselves in a court and maybe win. But still, every normal human being knows that this was an offensive action. Did Israel ever attack a cyber operator in, in any sense, a physical sense? N- uh, um, there was one, one case which I think was misunderstood by the media a few months ago. Um, there was an attack in Gaza against uh, uh, some building infrastructure, and it was interpreted in the media as if Israel attacked the cyber center Of the Hamas which happened to be in this building this is a misunderstanding uh, what happened is that uh, the Hamas uh, launched few ra- rockets against Israeli targets uh, civilian population and in retaliation to this the target was to do something to convince the Hamas that they should stop shooting those rockets okay Uh, in, in retaliation to this, one of the targets that was bombed in retaliation, it so happened that in this building, the, the function of the Hamas, which is in charge of cyber actions against Israel, used to, to, to be in this building. But this was not... It's not the, the main this attack. This is not what you are... The asking. target. Yeah. This was not a retalia- physical uh, attack against uh, or in order to prevent cyber attack. Uh, this is very interesting what you're saying because really in the media, in the media this case is often noted as a classic yeah, yeah, I know. response that's against why I'm saying attack. it because I go all over the world everyone is asking me I have always to repeat it so what you're saying is that in that case we didn't really retaliate against a cyber attack but did Israel ever uh, you don't have to mention of course specific cases did we ever actually target cyber operators or Because of these you said there are many many cyber attacks I I, uh, I, I cannot talk about this subject by by its very nature 
Okay. Does the Israeli government has any plans to protect, you know, prominent cybersecurity researchers and civilians who are working for different agencies in wartime because now they are valid targets? Well, as I said, they are valid targets as long as they take part in offensive actions. So they are treated as, in the eyes of the Israeli government, they could be treated as If soldiers you, if, that need to be protected in wartime. If you take part uh, in some offensive operation, you should take the, the consideration seriously that someone will uh, try to stop you. Very interesting. Okay, so moving on. Mikko Hipponen is a very well-known figure in the cybersecurity world, and I wanted to know if governments are coming to him asking for advice in cases of cyber attacks? Some of them do, yeah. Um, for example, one thing which, which we have helped with has been trying to investigate so-called false flag incidents, which are cases where um, there's a governmental attack, most likely not really a military strike, but more like foreign intelligence agencies trying to steal military secrets, for example. And uh, there's a suspicion that it looks like it's coming from country A, But that might actually not be the case. And we've ha- we actually have confirmed cases where countries have tried faking other countries as the source of the attacks in order to do a false flag attack. So, for example, we have governmental attacks which we attribute to the Russian government, but the attacks were done by using booby-trapped Word document files which were created with the Mandarin Chinese version of Word just to make it look like it's got to be the Chinese because they were using Mandarin version of, 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 of file and all the binaries were combined in the Beijing time zone in, instead of the real time zone where they were done. So, so how did you know that it is indeed the Russians who did that? Well, there were third-party information which led us to investigate related cases which proved that it actually was uh, most likely GRU from the Russian government behind it. It's a very long story. Nevertheless... When you think about that this actually is happening, that governments really are trying, trying to frame other governments for their attacks, it's an additional proof on how hard the attribution is. And imagine if you would retaliate with missiles against an attack against country A, when it really was done by country B, trying to make it look like it's country A. Okay, so Miko here is talking about what he called a false flag, countries impersonating other countries for making false attribution. Uh, for the, to the best of your knowledge, was there ever an, an attempt of false attribution in attacks uh, yeah. against Israel? Yeah, of course. I mean, usually this is a technique. I mean, when you, apart from terrorist organizations that would like, they, they need the, the, the publicity. They need the, to make a lot of noise. But this is the goal of terrorism. It's not killing every citizen of the others. Of the, of the other side. It's terror, terrorizing. It's, yeah, and uh, for this, uh, apart from terrorist organizations, usually you have a certain goal, you do something, part of the uh, profession is to plant certain hints that will lead the investigators of the other side to, to different false directions. This is uh, obvious technique 
Uh, and therefore, uh, you don't have to jump on the first uh, obvious. So uh, it also happened it in attacks against time. Israel it, sometimes. It happens all the time. And if I no, was but the I have, sorry, but I have uh, uh, two comments, if if uh, if you if I may. One is, if you notice, and this is very typical to professionals in cyber security, uh, Miko uses the word attack in two different senses. One is really a real attack. I mean, you go and shut off the electricity somewhere, like the Russians did in, in Ukraine. And he said, attack, well, I mean um, and, and it, uh, for intelligence. Intelligence is not really an attack. I mean, technically, in order to get the intelligence, usually today it's stored in computerized media. You need to hack into a computer. So you need to attack the computer. It, uh, to attack the computer is not really to destroy it, to, to attack it, to, is to hack into the computer. Uh, gain access, not gain really access. damage it. People in the profession usually use the word attack, which is a wrong usage if we speak here about the legal issues and w- the norms, etc. This is, again, espionage. And espionage is, is a totally different story with different norms, uh, traditionally. Okay? So, so this between is the lines, I think you're saying that maybe when it's hacks and data breaches, not real damage, then in that sense, we shouldn't or shouldn't consider maybe a physical attack against it's not such, attack. It may be such incidents? It's not an attack. This is espionage. It may be uh, illegal, even criminal in, in certain uh, contexts, okay? But it's not an attack. It's not considered an attack, it's which not an means attack. a response, physical yeah. attack. And, and, and therefore, the different, you have to be very clear. But uh, let's say I'm the Prime Minister of Israel and I'm asking for your advice. Should Israel, uh, you know, deploy tactics of false attributions? What would you say to the Prime Minister? Yes, we should. It's common if, practice. If if we uh, decide to attack them, of course. But if we wouldn't did, that damage the, the deterrence of, of of I mean part uh, of the attack? That depends. If if the yeah. if the if the goal of the operation is that it will be revealed, and uh, in order to to deliver some message to the other side, then of course you you shouldn't conceal it. But if the goal is, for example, espionage, you want to hack into this computer, do something, and you do a lot, everything that you can do in order not to be revealed. In that case. It's very natural in this case that in case it will be exposed, you will, they will find there are some hints that will let them to... So uh, it's interesting. I mean, if, we, if we're doing an attack, a real attack to damage infrastructure, then maybe we should... try and be decisive in the attribution as an attacker. If not, all is open. <laughs> If it's in the covered world, it should play according to the rules of the covered world. Okay, moving on to the next question I had for Miko. It was a practical one. With the relationship between cyber and kinetic attacks being so complicated, did he, does he think that, co- that countries should separate their cyber units from the regular army in terms of hierarchy and organizations? Let's see what he had to say. Yeah, it's a tough question, and I probably don't have a very good answer on this. It's, it really depends 
on the way a specific military has organized their their structure and their infrastructure as well. So it's really a question on 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 which where the answer would be different for different countries. So Miko found it hard to answer such a question without the proper context, but. You, Professor, have the context. Are cyber operations in Israel under the organizational hierarchy of the military, or what's the organizational structure of cyber operations in Israel? Is it governmental, uh, no, military? Uh, again, you have to distinguish between different missions of what we, what is called cyber operations. Okay, there is a mission of of intelligence. Mission of intelligence was and should stay. At the hands of intelligence services in Israel, the the military intelligence, uh, unlike what happens, by the way, in the USA, is is the main intelligence service. Okay, the biggest one there. The principle should be like this: that intelligence should deal with intelligence. Now there's another uh, sense of cyber, and this is really what we call cyber security. You have to secure your computers, your um, command control and communication systems, etc. This is a defensive, uh, simple defensive mission. It is not necessary to put it uh, under the responsibility of intelligence services. It doesn't have anything to do yeah. with that. If so. you uh, suffered from an attack, you may turn to your intelligence services Tell them, this was the attack. Can you help me in finding who did it? Because as, as we said, because of the problem of attribution, technically it's almost possible. But someone had to think about securing the computer and communication systems of your uh, military or national. Is there a uh, different organizational unit for offensive attacks that do real damage as opposed to this is intelligence the, operations? Th this is what I think. I mean, now you, you may come to this last mission and this is an attack in the sense that we will attack not to get information or something like this. We will attack you in order to have some physical result. Okay. The way I see it, this is usually a military task. You can, of course, build, uh, as you asked uh, Miko, you can build a civilian agency, tell them to do it, but um, uh, usually they don't live, they don't know too much about uh, uh, all the this world of uh, attacks and counterattacks, etc., and and they don't live it uh, daily on in the daily life. And, and I think this, it should be a military attack like what the Americans call, for example, the cyber command. I, I give you a very simple example. Okay, let's say you are the chief of Air Force. Okay, and, and you are the chief of Air Force. You want uh, uh, to use your Air Force uh, in the next war and to neutralize all the, the, those factors which limit the, uh, uh, your freedom to use your air force, like air defenses, interceptors, etc. So let's say there is a new, uh, if, if you want me to be concrete, there is a new uh, air defense system now uh, coming to Syria, and let's say we have a war, it means that now, before we have a war, okay, we have to prepare certain ways to uh, uh, neutralize those uh, S-400, uh, 300, 400 
How can I neutralize it? In principle, in principle, I'm now the chief of Air Force, okay? I have to prepare the, the, the means, and this is essential to the work of Air Force. It's not a, something that I can ask someone to uh, do me a favor and take care of this small problem, okay? This is something essential to operation. I can neutralize those uh, defenses by physical, kinetic energy, throwing bombs on them, missiles, God knows what. I can use it by jamming the electronics of those uh, uh, um, uh, systems. And from the last two, three dozens years, we have a third opportunity, and this is to uh, neutralize them by malware. Okay? How much should I, uh, I invest in, in the first way relative to the second way or to the third way? This is an essential, should be an essential part of the uh, uh, daily work of Chief of Air Force in building the forces, the capabilities. So he has to have that capabilities under him, so organization. The way I see it, he has to have this capability under him. It doesn't mean that he has to develop the technology, etc., etc., because in many cases in, in Israel as, as well as in the U.S., the, we for developing the technology we use uh, defense uh, industry and things like that but but he has to uh, determine what it needs to allocate the budgets the people that should be involved in this etc ideally this is the way I see it it should be part of the normal missions whatever I said about the efforts is is holds as well for, for the other arms of army the or, or navy, etc. Yeah. But, you know, we were caught in surprise in a way that uh, cyber, uh, until, uh, let's say, 10 years ago, so was only done by intelligence services because this is the mission in life, to get information. And once information starts to be stored, in computers, media, they started to find ways to hack into this. It's natural for yeah, them. It's yeah. natural. We were caught by, in surprise by this, and therefore it was very natural uh, all over the world. I'm speaking all over the world. It's not uh, in Israel or something. It was very natural to start um, uh, dealing with this new era by units in the intelligence Services. It's it's a kind. Uh, ideally, this this is not the right solution. And how do you go from this situation to the situation that I would like to be in, which it will be part of the occupation of every service? Uh, you you may have certain stages in between that gradually you will transfer from this situation to that situation, okay? But this is only a temporary situation. Do you see Same. that evolutionary process going yeah, on in Israeli yeah, army and course, other armies? Of course, everywhere. everywhere. You, you, when I uh, uh, joined the Air Force in the attrition war, okay? Talking about the late uh, 60s, early 70s. Early 70s. Mm -hmm. This was the first time in our history in which air defense batteries, air air-to-surface, surface-to-air uh, missiles started to hit fighter aircraft. Until that time, they launched from time to time uh, uh, missiles, but 
always missed. Only the attrition board we face this problem that the new um, uh, surface to air technology Soviet made at that time uh, is successful in shooting down our aircraft. Now the um, uh, solution that was found to uh, uh, to this problem is a mix of many items, many components. One of them was electronic warfare. So I'll, I will tell you that when I joined the Air Force in 1970, and, and, and this was one of my first tasks in life, find the solution to this new problem, okay? The electronic warfare responsibility for the whole idea was under intelligence services with one uh, exception, and this is jamming the uh, communication sets, which was under the chief communication uh, uh, officer. So not under the... No, uh, not under the Air Force. The Air Force at all. No. It changed only after the, the bitter lesson that we learned in 1973. Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur War. Only after this, they, they said, oh, the chief of Air Force came and said, well, jamming is an essential part of, of air warfare. You cannot really think about the one without the, the other. Should be under our responsibility. The same will happen with cyber warfare. Okay, on to our final question. So, uh, following the last question that I had to Miko, Miko went on to discuss what he sees as one of the problems or the biggest problems even with cyber weapons. And this is what we already mentioned, a world we already mentioned, which is deterrence. Let's say, let's see what Miko had to say about deterrence. Um, what is very clear is that all technically capable countries are actively investing tons and tons of resources and money into building both defense as well as offense. And these weapons are different from any other weapons. Um, power of most weapons is not actually in using them, it's in showing them to get deterrence. You show your weapons to your enemy to, you know, to try to make them be afraid of you so they wouldn't attack against you. This is the reason why countries which have nuclear weapons do nuclear weapons testing, to show that they have nuclear weapons. And cyber is very problematic because we don't really show what we have. We, don't, we have no idea what kind of capabilities different countries have. We know which countries have invested a lot of money into this, but we see no... no for example, I wonder what's the offensive capability of... Vietnam, or Italy, or Sweden. We have no idea. We, we really don't know. Uh, which means whatever investments they've done into their cyber weapons, they are getting no return on the investments um, because nobody knows they have them unless they, they use the weapons. And cyber weapons don't work forever. They will rust away just right, like real-world weapons. They target vulnerabilities in today's systems, and systems change. Vulnerabilities get fixed. Systems get upgraded, so you have a limited window where you have to use your weapon or you will lose it forever. And when you lose it forever, nobody even knew you had it. So you got no return on the investment at all, which sort of automatically drives us into a scenario where it's more likely these weapons get used just to get some return on the big investment different militaries put into them. So to summarize what Miko is saying is deterrence is a problem in cyber warfare because you can't show off a cyber weapon. So 
he's, he's afraid that they are more likely to be used in real combat situations just to show off some return on the investment. Do you agree with this analysis? Yeah, basically, I agree with uh, almost every word. And the, but it's not limited only to cyber warfare. It's, it's uh, one of the problems that we have with modern technology, basically. The, the point is very simple. You want, uh, at the old time, if I wanted to estimate the capability, let's say, of the Iranian military force, okay? I had to count how many aircraft they had, how many guns, how many soldiers, how many this, how many that. If I wanted to get a better assessment, I would go to the quality of the platforms. It, it's not only the number of aircraft. Tell me what are the types of the aircraft. Every, every, everything was known. So you can count it and say, this country is much stronger than that country. Then, gradually, because of modern technology, cyber is only one example, other components became much more important than the number of platforms or soldiers, like the quality of the weapon. I'll give you something very simple, okay? Today, there is no way in counting the number, I mean, there's no sense in counting the number of how many bombs you have. Depends very much on the bomb. The accuracy. Yeah, the accuracy, the range, because a bomb usually can glide or, or be a missile. And the range, the accuracy, is it detectable by the radars of the other side? Uh, what, what, what sensors it has inside? These are not written anywhere. Countries put a lot of money now for at least 30 years, okay, in those technologies. And they don't really contribute directly to deterrence because of this. So there is a problem which theoretically uh, we called it. How do, you, how do you tell your opponents that you are really strong without using the force. I mean, if you use it, if you give an example, then they may learn that there is a problem. And there are many ways of, uh, of uh, uh, sending signals like this, which are not directly making an operation. For example? For example, I'll give you one example. There is, there is a question of, of uh, uh, one of the components today is, is ballistic missiles, okay? It's very difficult to demonstrate those uh, ballistic missiles. I mean, if we would like to demonstrate it and shoot a ballistic missile now to against someone in Iran because he... You he, start a war. <laughs> it, it may start a war, yeah. of course. But you can be very strong and demonstrate a lot of technology in space. It has nothing to do with ballistic missiles, but, but it... So it is sending certain message to the other side about your capabilities. What could be a way to signal cyber uh, power to an opponent? I mean, as Miko said, you can't really use this. There's no way to explode a cyber weapon for the whole world to see. What could yeah. be a way to communicate such in, capabilities? In, in uh, cyber, if you speak about cyber uh, world... I don't need to to demonstrate 
capability in every field. You take, for example, the, the destruction of the Iranian centrifuges, the uh, uh, uranium enrichment centrifuges of Iran, in 2000, that was, uh, the that attack. happened, the Stuxnet in 2010, okay. Now, this is a very good case to study. Uh, of course, Israel never admitted it was uh, done by Israel. There is no proof, the problem of attribution, we talked about it. The Iranians uh, accused Israel, but they accused Israel of everything, including uh, sometimes uh, drafts uh, <laughs> in, uh, and, and uh, reducing the ag agricultural product of Iran. That we are also responsible for this. But we, we also didn't deny. I mean, there is a play like this that, okay, you say that I did it. I don't say yes. I don't deny. Uh, you may think whatever you want, but be aware that Israel, for example, today, Israel is uh, selling the, the civilian, civilian export of Israel of defensive cyber uh, uh, products and, and, uh, and knowledge to the world is something like 10% of the total global market. Okay? That's enough. That's a signal. That's a signal. 10% of the global, I mean, all, all the big companies in the world, But you know, the, the Stuxnet example that you gave is actually an example of somebody using a cyber weapon. Yeah, but without... Without using it, nobody would have known that Israel but, has the capabilities. But if you ask me why the Iranian blamed Israel for this, it's not that they found something. It's, they, they found nothing. You think it's an automatic response? It's, it's a kind of automatic response. It's also common sense. Something like they ask themselves, who is interested in destroying the centrifuges? Maybe either Israel or the USA, or even better, both of them, because one is the big devil, the other one is the small, smaller devil, uh, and things like that. It's enough. I mean, if you don't, many times, you don't have to deny it. You keep it ambiguous in a way. Okay? And then the other side, when he looks at other signals, like the role we play now in the global market in cybersecurity and things like this, this is the image he builds in his mind. And when we speak about deterrence, it's all about images on, on the mind of the other side. From your experience, does the Israeli government face internal pressure from the public to prove its capabilities in terms of you know, actually deploying cyber attacks? Do the, do the leaders feel the pressure to use cyber uh, weapons, as uh, Miko said? I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, in Israel, politics is something very complicated. Still, issues of defense and security, usually, it doesn't matter who the government is and uh, what political party, usually are, are, are very much calculated. And every move we do is... It uh, thought and thought again many times before we do it. So public pressure doesn't play a significant role in these decisions? I don't think so. That's a very comforting thought, I think. 
Thank you very, very much, Professor Itzik Ben Israel. It's been a pleasure. Very, very eye-opening, as I hope it would be. Uh, just to summarize some of the very interesting ideas and opinions you raised during our interview, both you and Miko agreed that a physical response to a cyber attack is a legitimate response, and you, Professor, argued that uncertainty and difficulties in attribution are already a part of the daily lives of government and military leaders in Israel and the rest of the world. So the problem of attribution, which plagues the cyber world, probably won't prevent governments from launching a physical response to a cyber attack when they see fit. You also noted that unlike commercial cyber security companies, who are usually restricted to the information they can uncover from the software and hardware used in an attack, countries have other means of assigning attribution to attacks, mostly intelligence means. As for the question of whether civilian developers are legitimate targets for physical attacks during conflicts, Miko said that he sees no reason why even his own company, F-Secure, wouldn't be a legitimate target during an armed conflict. You, Professor Ben Israel, drew the distinction between defensive and offensive work in this regard. So I think that gave some of our listeners, who perhaps work with the governments on offensive cyber tools, some food for thought. Because as Miko summarized it, I didn't sign up for this shit. As for where, in the organizational sense, should cyber units be placed under civilian management or as part of the military, you drew on Israel's bitter experience in the 1973 Yom Kippur War to argue that offensive cyber capabilities should be managed ideally under the command of the specific military wing, be it army, air force, navy, whatever, so that these offensive capabilities can be utilized to their full potential during a conflict. And lastly, Miko raised the concern that because cyber weapons cannot be demonstrated like, say, nuclear bombs, they are more likely to be used in the real world just to provide deterrence and show off cyber capabilities. You, however, argued that there are plenty of other signals a country could communicate to its opponents that can convince them of its cyber capabilities even without the actual use of these weapons. So, again, thank you very much, Professor Itzik Ben Israel. A big thanks also to Miko Hipponen for his interview. Miko also revealed to me that he plans to launch a new cybersecurity podcast in his native Finnish language sometime in the future. So, if we have uh, Finnish-speaking listeners in the audience, here's a heads-up for you to look for Miko's new podcast when it airs. It was also a very pleasant surprise for me to learn that Miko is a regular listener to Malicious Life, so it's always amazing to hear that one of your personal heroes likes uh, what you do. As always, you can find all the previous episodes of Malicious Life on our website, malicious.life, and you can find me at, at @ranlevy on Twitter. R-A-N at ranlevy.com is the email address, and you can also follow at malicious.life for future updates and new episodes. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Thanks again to CyberReason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye.